from Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast discussing the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, once again, volatility wins, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are at very close to close on Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. We've had a pretty significant bear market for the past two weeks, and now, um, after a weird late-day rally, the S&P 500 is about five points away from flirting with being above bear market territory. So once again, I have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what's going on. So let's see if we can find some answers in terms of understanding this market. Um, as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder here at Moby.co, as well as our chief analyst. Justin, my dude, uh, can't make heads or tails into this one over here. What's uh, what's good on your end? Yeah, uh, definitely, you know, good week so far. Um, starting to see some numbers potentially go in the right direction. Definitely too early to say one way or the other right now, but um, yeah, a lot to unpack during this episode. Excited to get into it. Absolutely. And it's just one of those things, too, where you're just looking at uh, all of these numbers and trying to understand. And the main thing, audience, of course, is trying to look at these things from a longer time scale. It's really hard to know where you are in any particular market week over week over week. So more likely than not, this is a temporary ret- this is a temporary reprieve from what is a normal bear situation. We can see ourselves going down more, more likely than not. But it honestly depends as we sort of like race into winter here and just try to begin to understand. So a lot of places to potentially jump on here. But I guess the main thing, Justin, is real quick, just patting you on the back once again. um, uh, Investment in energy seems to be the the main play. We had a massive investment today from Warren Buffett into um, Occidental Petroleum, which notably does a lot of petroleum exploration in the Permian Valley. I'm sorry, the Permian Basin out there in West Texas. So I'm hoping, Justin, you can kind of take me through what's going on in the energy sector. How are we trying to power through these ridiculous gas prices, um, bringing, you know, U.S. production back, that sort of thing. Can you kind of take me through what it means with this kind of huge investment, like what uh, these sort of whales are thinking about in energy policy? Yeah, it's interesting to, uh, to see that. And we've talked about this a lot, Peter, so I'm happy that you asked. Um, but effectively, there's there's a few different things going on right now. So obviously, Warren Buffett, to your point, is uh, buying another $500 million worth of stock uh, with a company that does 80% of its trailing in the Permian Basin, which is very interesting. Um, And he's doing it for a good reason, similar to reasons that we've been looking at. Obviously, there's a massive just like energy shortage kind of like what's going on right now with implications coming out of supply shortages in Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. And energy prices have just gone sky high when you pair with inflation over the last, you know, six to 12 months here. Um, So... He's looking at big drillers in the U.S. because we're going to have to start doing a lot more of our drilling onshore as instead of necessary currencies, but like almost commodities become the new currency in a sense. So owning your own supply of energy, like if anything that we're learning from Russia right now is that that's super important. So we're taking and so is Europe taking a lot of the drilling and bringing it onshore or just producing energy onshore. So when you look at where the U.S. producers uh, drill and ultimately refine their oil, most of it's in Texas. Um, the Permian Basin is one of the largest drilling uh, areas in the country and in recent years has seen a ton, a ton, a ton of <clears throat> capital expenditures for drilling in those specific areas. And so rather than pick what stock is going to be the most profitable, like fall upon the biggest well, then have the right refining capabilities, uh, we can go. We talked about the refining stuff last week. 
Um, it, it can be hard. I mean, as long as oil prices are going up, you'll likely do well. But if you look at the company he invested in, uh, the stock's up like 90% this year. And then if you look at some others, like ExxonMobil, it's up 35%, which is obviously great, but the upside is different. So for us, like what we're doing is rather than, and this is like with a lot of our investment theses, rather than try and pick the company who's going to do the best, we look for companies that are the ones who own the actual underlying infrastructure. So there's a company called MP Materials. We were saying, yes, you invest in testing, do these things, but wouldn't you want to own the company that's supplying the materials that go into the batteries needed for the technology within those electric vehicles? So for the oil, we're taking a very similar approach. Wouldn't you want to own the land itself? Who's the biggest landowner in the state of Texas? A company called Texas Pacific Land Trust, which we've talked about before. And this is the largest land trust in the United States. And specifically, they are owning some of the most valuable land in the United States. And so what they do is rent out their land via royalties to ConocoPhillips, to ExxonMobil, to a ton of drillers, and then ultimately are able to derive kind of these ongoing royalties that have lot have kind of ended last year and now are being renewed at significantly higher prices. They have the highest gross margins in the S&P 500 as it costs basically $0 to own land. And the land is used for not only oil, but it's used for water rights, it's used for railways, there's, there's a ton of other use cases. And by definition, the stock itself has to buy back itself over time, which artificially boosts the price. Right now, the, pr the value of the stock is actually less than the value of the land. So there's a natural arbitrage opportunity that, again, most people are just missing on. So it's a long-winded way of answering your question about why oil, where is it going, how, how are we playing it, looking at what Warren Buffett's doing, what other people are doing, and this is the way that we've chosen to play it over the last few years. Um, and we've been rewarded. TPL's up like 400% in the last five years. And dating back even further, it's up like 35,000% all the time. So it's a company that we don't necessarily just like now, but like over the next decade. And this is going to get into a lot of what we're thinking about, audience. And you're going to see a lot of this in our perspective, too, where we kind of look for the plays within plays to make sure that we're hedging our bets as best as possible when we can't really see what's going down, re-volatility, right? So when we're looking at that sort of thing, sure, energy is going to go up a lot potentially as, you know, prices rise and as onshore production happens more here in the U.S. and there's a potential for shareholder value to increase here. Uh, the best thing to do, though, is sort of like, you know, go after the people selling the shovels in the gold rush rather than, rather than the people doing the actual mining. That's why you're seeing us, you know, highlight stocks like Thermo Fisher Scientific on the biotech and pharmaceutical side rather than making any other, like, very speculative biotech um, recommendations or anything on the, the pharmaceutical side as well. We want to make sure that we're hedging our bets because, you know, you'll see slower growth from these kinds of companies, but at the same time, like, there's a higher chance of growth, especially through a, you know, very weird and hard-to-predict period. If it, if it turns out that we're, you know, a little bit being a little too conservative and this is really just like a flash-in-the-pan-style recession, well, hey, that's awesome. Everybody wins. Of course, the pressures causing, you know, inflation to go up and the market to go down are very long-lasting. Like, there's very little light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to our overall supply chain woes. And at the same time, for energy, same deal. Like, it's very difficult to sort of just like, you can't just press drill more oil in the U.S. now and expect it to happen next week. It's one of those things where we have been 
recovering from that bizarre period in April slash May of 2020 when it literally, oil had a negative value, if you recall. Like, people had to just, like, hold on to barrels of oil. It was honestly a wild time. That kind of astounding shock has really, really long reverberations. And so that's why you'll see a lot of those more conservative plays from us. But at the same time, audience, you'll also see us trying to find those momentum moments as well. And so, Justin, you've, uh, in, in a lot of the strategy that you've done and a lot of the an analysis that we're doing, we're also, you know, starting to look into more of these, like, daily momentum plays. And so I'd really love to get through your philosophy, Justin. Like, yesterday we published the first iteration of our daily stock trading ideas, and every day afterwards we're going to be posting a new list, so to speak. Can you kind of take me through the idea Idea of like what momentum is like are we turning into day traders here despite being you know long-term investors what's the what's the game when you're thinking about momentum throughout you know a period of more volatility like what we're seeing oh just realized i was on mute who is the the joys of discord <laughs> um yeah, so you're asking about like day-to-day -day volatility, what we can do with trading. I mean, it's a very interesting like area. And to your point, like we're not typically trading in general. Like we believe in fundamentally finding companies that are either undervalued or have long-term value associated with them that are achievable in the next, you know, five years, let's call it. For us to go after like a trading strategy is very irregular. So I just want to preface that. We typically do not do that, especially in stocks where it's significantly harder to trade than in crypto, for example. However, right now, the volatility is really high. And when volatility is really high, there's a lot of opportunities to be made. And after working with our data science team in tandem for a while now, they finally convinced us, us being the fundamental side of the business, that this was a strategy worth pursuing. Something that is extremely high risk, but something that could be providing daily stock ideas, using momentum, using artificial intelligence to ultimately select stocks that have the ability to go up day over day, go down day over day, and ultimately be able to capitalize off it since there's such big, big volatility swings. So we released that yesterday. Um, we released it for our premium members on our site, and that updates every single day. So every single day that the market's open, five days a week, most weeks, bearing any holidays, you'll see new trade ideas. And what you can do is in there, buy stocks that you don't buy all of them, but maybe buy stocks that you think can do well based on what we're saying, what you think, what you think, and then ultimately are able to leverage that. Not all of them will be winners, not all of them will be losers, but there will be, you know, we're obviously making the bet that the winners will over overshadow the looters. But this is a very boom or bust type thing, which again is not fundamental rooted in who we are, but there is opportunity that we will be deploying this strategy for some time until volatility goes away and we don't see the trading uh, kind of aspect of it being integrated in the long run. But for the short run, this is definitely something that we, we've been capitalizing on and we're, we're excited to roll it out. I know a lot of people have been asking for us to do something like this. Precisely. And another thing, too, to keep in mind is that we have to find these fundamental plays, but also find those momentum swings as well. So if you're a Mopi.co member, make sure you check that post out every day. We'll, we won't necessarily send notifications out for each of those swings, but we but it's one of those things where if you just kind of bookmark that post, you can check it, you know, daily, and you're going to see those kind of momentum moments, you know, day over day over day over day that kind of add up to trends over time. But it's one of those things where the moment we talk about it here on this podcast, it becomes stale. So let's go ahead and move on, too, because one thing that's happened between 
the two recordings we've done, Justin, is uh, we, uh, last time you and I talked live on air, Bitcoin was hovering around 20K, and now it's hovering around 20K again. But between those two points, we had a pretty significant, like, flash-in-the-pan crypto winter that drove Bitcoin all the way down to 17K. And so our audience is honestly very curious about you know, we're seeing, you know, a lot of line up between the uh, trends in the NASDAQ and the trends in Bitcoin. They kind of follow each other a lot more and more than ever. Bitcoin obviously swings even harder and therefore swings the rest of the crypto market even harder. NASDAQ goes down, then Bitcoin goes down, which crushes altcoins, so on and so forth, because we're seeing more and more institutional money enter the crypto space, even during this, you know, crypto winter. Obviously, right now you're seeing a lot of whales prepare for all sorts of price action as people wondering, like, what the recovery here is going to be. So can you kind of take me through your thesis? You literally, I think moments before this podcast came out, published a new report about what's going to recover first, uh, stocks or crypto. Can you kind of take me through like what you're seeing in terms of the crypto winter and like how we're sort of thinking about it? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people are starting to ask us right now. Uh, it seems like most people, maybe not on this podcast necessarily, uh, people who are listening now, people who are listening later, um, are kind of starting to like say, hey, maybe we're approaching a bottom or maybe if we're not approaching a bottom, like we're almost there. And so what is going to recover? When is it going to recover? What's going to recover harder? This seems to be kind of on the on the forefront of everyone's mind right now. So there's basically two different ways they're approaching this. The first way is, again, similar to everything we're doing, is taking a long-term fundamental view on this. The second thing we're doing is we have to factor in risk. And so this becomes very personalized. So this take this with a grain of salt because it'll be different for everyone's risk attitude. But effectively, the, the question we're asking ourselves are, okay, things will rebound at some point. So when they do re rebound, what will rebound harder? The obvious answer right now is crypto. Having said that, could easily keep sliding down further. So the room it will have to make on the upside is significantly higher. But once it hits the absolute bottom, cryptos like beta relative to the market is significantly higher. So when things do bottom out, crypto should be following a very similar path to equities. They're both risk on assets. So as you invest in risky assets, the other risky assets are correlated. So as equities go up, stocks, um, sorry, not stocks, but crypto should go up as well. So once equities start going up, crypto will then move sharper up. So what we mean by that, if, for example, if equities go up 10% over the next month, crypto could move up, you know, 10, 20, 30%. So you're definitely getting more upside um, if you're investing in crypto. But again, volatility is going to be extremely paramount, even on the way up, you'll see up, you'll see down, um, and then it can easily keep sliding further. So there's a very, very high measurable level of risk that you would be taking if you ultimately go down the path of choosing crypto over stocks. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. You can put, allocate some towards each. But if you're, if, you're, if you're asking yourself right now, what will rebound harder? The answer is likely to be crypto. If you answer, if you ask when will that will happen, they'll probably happen at the same time. If you're asking specifically when that will happen, it is impossible to call the bottom. The number one thing investors are doing are forward looking. So as soon as there's some light under the tunnel, like I can see this thing starting to reverse. We saw the first light at the end of the tunnel starting to appear potentially yesterday with the Fed saying that they believe demand will go down. It's funny that that's light at the end of the tunnel, um, but ultimately demand going down means less demand overall. Less demand overall means demand supply can catch up. The imbalance between the two, they catch up, inflation goes down, Inflation goes down, interest rates can stop finally going up. 
high interest rate environment, stocks can't do well because no one's borrowing and it just doesn't encourage spending in the economy. It's kind of like how the whole supply chain works. So long story short, if demand goes down, inflation could go down. Just because demand goes down doesn't mean inflation will go down. We can have a, a period of high inflation, low demand, high unemployment, which is called stagflation. Um, but I mean, these are, again, these are things that we all need to monitor. So long story short, we need some sort of sign inflation is going down before markets start going back up. Um, if there is no hope at the end of the tunnel, it's going to be very hard for things to recover. And the chief thing to keep in mind, too, is remembering, audience, you know, what things are driving inflation primarily as well. Like if you look at the CPI and just see 8.6%, what does that mean? And then you break that down and you see things like new and used car sales and new and new and used like car leases. And then the most important thing being energy being the chief thing that is bringing uh, inflation up. And when you look at that and you understand that, okay, energy prices typically go up during the summer months because, you know, America and the West, you know, people turn on their air conditioning, people drive around a lot more and they travel a lot more. So if we see a period of demand destruction, especially for energy during this period, during during this summer, that would be an astounding event because that would be uh, demand going down at a period when it usually goes up, which would have a significant cooling effect on inflation. So uh, it's really hard to predict whether or not that's something that could actually happen. You know, we you gotta kind of just like trust the process, so to speak. I'm very excited to see where the CPI ends up next month. I think that's going to be a very critical print to see if we, because uh, the main thing is if we saw inflation go down in June, that's a sign that inflation is going down overall. And if it pops back up in July, that's natural because you know demand goes up in July, August, and September. So I'm very excited to see if they actually pull off this level of demand destruction, so to speak. Not demand destruction, but, you know, demand um, diminishment. So keep that in mind as well. So it's one of those things where I would be very shocked to see inflation really cool off in July, but then you're looking at, you know, August and September. That's the potential for it to really, like, start accelerating that process if the Fed really has a chance to get this under control. But to bring that all back to crypto as well, what you're, what you're hearing from us audience is obviously, like, we're doing more lagging indicators than leading indicators because it's so hard to predict what crypto Bitcoin specifically is going to do during this period because this is the first genuinely even borderline bear market, borderline recession that the crypto industry has dealt with. Remember, crypto was born after 2009, after as a response to the financial crisis of the last like significant recession. 2020, yes, was a huge downturn, but not a full-on recession. We shoved so much money into the economy that we shot you know us right back up. And this recession is the recession that should have happened should COVID-19 you know not blown up the world for uh, the past two and a half years. So keep that in mind too. This is the first time we're going to see genuinely like recessionary behavior around crypto, and no one has seen what the crypto market's going to do. I think it's really important too, just to like you know put out little like barometers. I would be shocked if Bitcoin stays above 20K. I think it's pretty likely to go down below again. Uh, but again, that's not a prediction. That's me saying, oh, I'd be very surprised. I'd also be very surprised if Bitcoin never dips down below 15 with all this kind of negative price pressure. But that's me looking you know, at the math as best I can and mainly using technical analysis, which again, in crypto is the only tool you really have because there's very few fundamentals to go off of. And technical analysis you know, can be very fidgety. It's basically, you know, looking at old patterns and saying, well, this pattern's happened before, so maybe this one will happen in the future. So keep that in mind. So it's really hard to predict what's going to happen here. Uh, the other thing I am starting to look into as well is the liquidity in the crypto space, specifically, you know, looking at on-chain analytics and seeing where there's like a lot of money, like on exchanges, thinking about who's going to make big moves. The thing you have to keep in mind about crypto and Bitcoin specifically is that while it's getting more and more established and more and more large institutional money is there, it's like any other market where any 
you know, you've got a, a vast majority of individual players with like a very small amount of holdings and then a, a small number of huge whales holding on to ridiculously large amounts of assets. Those whales in the crypto space have far more power than like individual banks in like the actual stock market, right? Because overall crypto is much smaller. And so what you're going to see from whale action in crypto has a lot more, you know, potential to move the market than say Warren Buffett buying a bunch of stocks because yes, Warren Buffett did buy $500 million worth of stocks. But when you compare that to the absolutely insane overall value of any particular equities market, it's much small. It's a much smaller percentage than say one particular crypto whale making a huge move in Bitcoin, which is kind of what you saw that over the weekend, which drove down, drove us down to 17 thousand dollars per coin for a hot second and so that's the main thing you have to watch we're, we're going to be getting a lot of really interesting information over the next you know six months to see uh, if this is an overall full-on recession first of all and then seeing how crypto responds to a recessionary environment we've had crypto winters before but they were brought right back up by you know, people having a by qualitative easing, but people still having a lot of liquidity and taking that out of the equities markets and putting that into crypto and seeing what's going to happen. If we see a full on pullback, there's no telling how low crypto may go, specifically Bitcoin. Of course, I'm only going to be watching Bitcoin during this time and making predictions about that because altcoins are really hard. And I'm not going to say anything about Ethereum until we hear more about them, you know, the update happening in August, hopefully, fingers crossed for gosh's sake. So not to wax poetic re-crypto, Justin, but I just want to make sure that, you know, we have all of those complex ideas in mind. As we move forward, though, Justin, what else am I looking for in terms of understanding if like this is just if volatility is winning right now and we're literally three points away from popping right out of bear territory in the S&P. Obviously, this is probably more of like a bear market rally since we've been in an extended downturn since round about December slash January. But what, what else should I be watching to make sure I understand what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it, like, there. unfortunately, like with the Fed is just ultimately dictating everything in the economy right now. Outside of like the geopolitical aspect, if you're strictly looking at the stock market, the equity market, like it's led by the Federal Reserve. I cannot stress how important that is. You look back to the 1950s, which is obviously a long time ago, um, and there's been roughly 15 uh, bear markets since then. And out of the 11 bear markets, out of the 11 out of the 15 bear markets, when the Fed was not accommodative, i.e., which is raising rates, uh, slowing down monetary policy and just not being accommodative. Markets haven't bottomed. They haven't recovered. Like the market needs the Fed to be accommodative. And accommodative means, you know, pumping them, pumping the economy with money, lowering interest rates so that people are borrowing more and stimulating demand in the economy. Right now, inflation is so ridiculous and out of control. They can't do that. But like ultimately, once things start to get better. The Fed hints that maybe they're not raising rates anymore and they start turning the other way, even start doing more quantitative easing. That's when we can start to get to a direction where things change. And so right now, like obviously look for the companies that are doing well, the companies that are resilient, they'll help be the companies that shape the next, you know, five, 10 years in the markets. But ultimately things truly, truly can't change until that happens. So we're seeing a small rally this week because there's been rumors that the Fed may not do 75 basis point raise, they might do a 50 basis point raise, and that'll be because inflation is not as high uh, as we you know, may have thought into next quarter since demand slowing down. So those are like the hints we wanna watch for, because then if the Fed reacts, slows down their interest rates, say we're approaching a top, that's when we can start potentially going the other way. But 
ultimately until the fed is on like investor side which in their defense they can't be right now it's going to be extremely hard to to go the other way Exactly. It's pretty much the worst time ever to be somebody at the Fed because it's a real rock and a hard place situation because ultimately what, what monetary policy isn't the thing that's really controlling this as much as other factors are. Like you, you, the Fed can't magically stop an invasion uh, in Ukraine and also can't just conjure wheat out of the ground now that we need now that we need to replace, you know, things like yeah. uh, phosphorus and all that in our economy. So that's the main but it's thing. It's crazy even like even before though the Russia stuff and don't get me wrong, I fully agree with you. Inflation was still like around 7% and their long run targets too. So it's like, as much as the Russia stuff isn't helping, the Chinese stuff isn't helping, like it's been bad for a while. So like, I mean, the things, it just amplifies it, but like, we still have to be, you know, extremely like, you know, self-aware to a certain extent that say, this is a problem we brought on that just got worse given the world events. And that's what we need to be looking forward to as well. And it's one of those things where, you know, we're seeing sort of like the complete shocks that come from a globalized world, right? And it, not, not to say that globalization isn't a good thing or a bad thing. I think, you know, the more interconnected we are, the better we can do for all humanity, right? But it's one of those things where you're going to be seeing a lot of pushback against globalization for the next who even knows you're seeing us do more domestic uh, oil production you're seeing a lot of people a lot of like uh, other nations kind of pull back into themselves and so it's going to be a very interesting process on the macro side as well and wondering like are we just is it is it going to be 1917 all over again pretty soon so it's really interesting to watch but at the same time it's good to see that the economy has a lot of this positive pressure throughout this situation like it's one of those things where like the media will tell you oh it's um or potential like huge crypto crypto winter bitcoin going to seven thousand or something wild like that but at the same time what we're seeing is just a kind of low and slow grind through the economy just needing to sort out all of these supply chain shocks and so uh watch the signals watch the momentum and then make sure you're making these long-term positions so you never force become a forced seller and it's one of those things where it's boring to talk about right now kind of because it's like the same thing over and over again but what i'm really interested in is sort of like seeing how this kind of aggregates over time and so hopefully what we'll see is demand go down um and the cpi cool off even a little bit in july just seeing that would be absolutely massive to know that we're pushing in the right direction but it remains to be seen we only get one real inflation update once a month and that's not coming for a couple of weeks yet but either way just to manage to Kareen, right here into time. There's so much more we wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk more about crypto consolidation like FTX by basically uh, bailing out um, BlockFi and all of that, but literally little zero time there. I need to do a lot more analysis there to see just like how much consolidation is going to yeah. happen in the crypto space. But Justin, any final thoughts from you as we sort of like get to the end here? Anything else we can think about as we sort of watch this happen and wonder how the market's pricing in all this tomfoolery? Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that at a later date. It's probably something good to talk about uh, offline if people ask it. I mean, real quick, I can... 30 seconds, uh, CEO of the company, uh, it's kind of taking a similar approach to Warren Buffett running companies lean fast. Uh, so while they're growing super fast over the last several years, they've been doing some with not that many employees. Coinbase has several thousand, they have like two, 300, uh, which is pretty crazy. So in a time where everyone's freaking out, firing, they have a ton of capital and that's why they're deploying it and buying companies and becoming kind of like this consolidated figure. So somewhere we see with like Berkshire Hathaway. So kind of taking a page straight out of his playbook. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but ultimately, they're in a really good position because they've built their company super responsibly. Uh, if they were publicly traded, they definitely would not be getting dinged nearly as hard as everyone else's.
Precisely, yeah, but again, we'll have to see. It's kind of the same pressures, like the, the conservative slow players use these kind of downturns to consolidate and, you know, become massive players. So, interesting to see how that plays out, but again, it's one of those things we need more analysis for. Either way, Justin, that brings us to time. Audience, thank you so much for all of your questions. If you have anything else for us, you can feel free to DM me directly here on Discord, or if you're listening to this in a recorded version, feel free to email me. I'm peter at moby.co. Otherwise, audience, I really appreciate your time. Just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. Um, all of the intellectual advice you heard today came from our chief analyst, Justin Kramer. As well, audience, if you have any other questions for us, again, hit us up at hello at mobi.co. Otherwise, as always, audience, I like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.